Old powers waken, shadows stir. An age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us. An age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Knights Podcast. This week on the Obsidian Knights Podcast, we are diving deep into A Song of Ice and Fire... Catelyn 3 of A Game of Thrones, and today's special guest is coming to us from the lands of always winter. Egret. Thanks for. Egret. <laughs> thanks for coming. Well, how are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. And seven blessings, good people. Um, I really do want to thank you, uh, Lady Grey. Queen Grey, I don't know what I should should call you, but I really, it's just, <laughs> I don't know, it's probably going to be Lady Grey the whole time, but I just, I'm really appreciative for you having me on. This is really an honor. I love your work, your energy, and all your passion that comes through with the content you provide. So um, I really think you undoubtedly make more of us even bigger fans in this world than we already are. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. So the last three chapters of A Game of Thrones have been outside of Winterfell, in Essos, in the Barrowlands, on the King's Road going north, on the King's Road going south. And now we are back at Winterfell with Catelyn Stark. We're in Bran's sick room. Eddard and Sansa, Arya, John, they're all gone. They've been gone um, eight days. And Catelyn Stark is just a mess. Winter Winterfell itself is like kind of in shambles. Maester Lewin comes in to talk to Catelyn about matters that need to be resolved in Winterfell. Like, we're seeing the aftermath of, like, now that everyone's gone and the dust has settled, like, the things that Catelyn has to deal with. So, the first thing um, is the cost of hosting the king and his large entourage. Like, Maester Lewin wants to discuss the books and they want to replenish the stores and grain and wine and all of that stuff because the king's party had like big appetites and winter is coming there are appointments that need to be made to make sure the castle runs properly the stewards would usually attend the books but the steward van pool uh went with ned to king's landing ned basically took everybody in winterfell and kind of left catlin in a pretty bad situation I don't know. I don't know. Would you call it pr- like a bad situation or is this like a normal thing? I think, think Catelyn is just lost in her grief. And I think George writes grief in a really authentic way, particularly as it relates to Cat. And that's what she's doing. She's grieving her son who th- she thinks is lost. And frankly, she never speaks to him again. Um, she's... She said goodbye to her husband and two daughters who've literally traveled right into the lion's mouth. I think she's just wrought with grief and sick about it yeah. and and just it, it, she's lost. So, yeah, I would be I mean, as a mother, I can empathize with Catelyn's position and I would be because not not only is she grieving these realities, but she's 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 got this fear this fear of Ned and the girls going away with the Lannisters, and she's just frozen and paralyzed, I think. Yeah, she really is, and I think it's a nice touch by George that um, when I read it back, every time Maester Lewin is telling her something, like Maester Lewin's like, oh, we need to make appointments, and she's like, she doesn't really say anything, but to herself, she's like, I need to cut Bran's hair. Yeah. She's like, oh, oh, we need to do this. And she's like, I need to move his bed in front of the window. He's pale. Like, she's not trying to hear anything that he's saying. And I do think it's because she's a mess. She's mm-hmm. like, yeah, all of these terrible things are happening to her. Her son is sick. Her whole family has left except for Rob and Rickon. Um, I think that she's kind of forgotten her responsibilities well not really forgotten them but she just doesn't care about them like they're the last thing 
they're like the least thing on her mind. She little she literally tells Maester Lewin this like she kind of like freaks out on him. <laughs> Don't She's right, like, right? I mean, if you if you <laughs> sadly, I know grief, right? I've been through it, and you know how capable you are at being that lost, at at completely losing sight of priorities, exaggerating fears, um, distant her disinterest. Right? Um, she doesn't eat. She's not mm-hmm. sleeping. She's she thinks she's helping him. And Rob calls her out and is like, you're not helping anybody. And it's brutal. She, it's brutal. Yeah, it's it really, really brutal. And, and her grief is just, he, he just, he nailed it. Yeah, he did. And and she basically even admits this. Like, Catelyn later says, like, once she comes around that she's half mad with grief. Yeah. She's fallen into, like, this despair. So, Rob... We get, like, our first real look at Rob Stark in this chapter. And Rob never has a POV out of the any of the books. And it's his... Rob's story is usually always told through either Bran or Catelyn. And I actually like it that way. I really like... That's what really makes me like Catelyn's chapters. Yeah, like, I don't really like Catelyn. Everybody knows that, but... What? Are you I kidding? Do, <laughs> but I do like that her story is... T- or that Rob's story is told through his mother's eyes. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and I, I, I'm ha- glad you brought up Kat's POV because I really feel like she really is one of the strongest POVs in those first three books. And when I read Feast and Dance, I love those books as much as everything else, but I really miss Kat's POVs in those books. It's a gap for me because she, uh, when I went back and thought about what had the value of her POV big picture, and I'm getting a little bit away from the chapter for a minute, but just she introduces us to the werewoods, right, out of the gate. We meet mm-hmm. Littlefinger through her. We meet Varys through her. Um, we meet most of the houses. She walks through as she goes to the Eyrie and she goes to the, the you know, joins the battle or, or Rob when he's going off to starting to play war or starting to actually be in war, excuse me. Um, and then she goes to meet with, and we get to watch Renly and Stannis meet for the only time. And it's all through Cat. We see King of the North and the Whispering Woods and the Red Wedding. And it's just so powerful. If you just sat and read Cat's chapters, you get a lot of good story alone. But to your point of Rob, um, I 100% agree. I, I, I think it would be fascinating to get some of Rob's POV once in a while, but but she has such a, a really interesting vantage point of him, the love, the care, the fear. Um, she's yes. a proper coach, right? She's teaching him, and you see that really well in this chapter, and I, I think she's just, she's a really great, uh, you're right, a really great lens to view Rob um, through. Yeah, and like to more to your point, like with Catelyn, like you can dislike things that she does, but she has the best chapters. She like it's her POV for the Red Wedding. Mm. So, like it, mm. like you said, a lot goes down in Catelyn's chapters. So you can dislike her, but if you say you don't like her chapters, I I can't agree. Yeah, you can't even like the story if you don't like her chapters. <laughs> right. There's not there's not, you would only like things in the north like where John is and and where Daenerys is and that's it cuz she's she's everywhere yeah. else. Yeah, she really is. So in the conversation that Catelyn has with Rob, um, he he shows a lot of maturity in the the first conversation that they have. Um, We know that he's a hothead. We saw that in John's first chapter. But he kind of tries to talk some sense into his mother. He tries to bring her back off the deep end. He's like, look, what the hell are you doing? You haven't left this room in days. And he's kind of like, hey, you have other kids particularly this one, Rickon. So Rickon's only three. He needs you. And then Rob tells her that, like, Rickon thinks that everyone has abandoned her, abandoned him, and he follows Rob around all day, clinging to his leg. And Rob is like, I don't know what to do with him, and I need you too, Mom. Like, I'm trying, but I can't do it all by myself. And I think, like, that is very mature of someone that's 14 to come and and ask for help because a lot of times especially like males in this story they don't ask for help especially not from mommy Mm, yeah and you know the other thing like so this chapter to me for Catelyn represents a really big 
I don't know if it's the start or a turning point or how I would reference it, but in Catelyn's whole arc and her loss and grief, I think is actually her arc. Um, but this is that Catelyn lost Bran and the two girls, but she's also losing the child that Rob was. And he's now moving into this Lord of Winterfell role and he's really taking it on and she set him up for that, but she loses that child in Rob too in this chapter. Yeah, she says it. She says it like he's always looked he's always looked like me, <laughs> but now I see that Stark in him or I, I see his father in him or something she says. And it's like, yeah, you see him becoming the Lord of Winterfell. Right. That's right. That's right. She does. She really does. And and he does a great job. Yeah, he does. Like and, and I feel so bad for him because she's she's lost all these people but so is he so as mm. so has he and he's he's dealing with it a lot better than she is but i i mean as a mother you know that's your child so i guess it's a lot worse for her in her heart she but mm. i want to oh, no, go i was going to say he also doesn't know how much danger ned and the girls are in yeah he doesn't he didn't get that right. letter from Liza. Mm-hmm. He hasn't heard about it so yet. So he's really just mourning Bran, where she's mourning all four of them, in a way. Yes. That's a very good point. So I wanted to talk about um, the singing of the wolves, mm-hmm. right? And I have, like, a crazy theory mm-hmm. about this. But Rob says that Bran needs to hear the singing. He needs to hear them sing. We have Summer howling, and then Shaggy Dog and Grey Wind kind of join him in, like, this chorus howl. So Catelyn, she can't stand the howling, but somehow this howling has sustained Bran. And we have, like, proof of that in Tyrion 1, where Tyrion is like, when they close the window, Bran gets weaker. When they open it, you know, he gets stronger again. So I I was really thinking, like, I really believe that Bran is in this coma dream the whole time that he is sick. Like, the whole time he's in this bed, he's in this coma dream. And I know the coma dream seems like maybe it's short, but there's, like, to me, there's no way you can tell how long it is. You're talking about the coma dream for when he wakes up in a couple chapters, right? Yes, yes. So a couple chapters ahead when he wakes up. So right now, I think that Bran is in this coma Mm -hmm. dream. So I feel like his consciousness is not inside his body, like his spirit or you know how like he's a warg and a green and a green seer mm-hmm. eventually like i feel like he's not in his body and summer's howling is to try to locate bran and help bran find his way home mm-hmm. like we see bran you know having the lucid crazy dream but i mentally i, I just don't believe that brand's there in his body and i like summer's just trying to bring him back i mean like i was because i was really thinking about like well why do wolves howl so they howl like to communicate over long distances or to locate members of their pack or to warn other wolves that they're in their territory like i'm sure they howl for other reasons but like those were the main Mm -hmm. reasons so i'm thinking like Summer is trying to locate him. Like, I think it's partly that. It could be partly him missing Bran. Did you have any thoughts on the howling? Not not like that. I think that's really interesting. And you wonder, too, if does he ever sneak, kind of creep in there? Is he in there? Is he ever howling at Catelyn? Right? Is is he somehow connecting in and out? Um, Is he hasn't? warged yet at this point right so um maybe this brings him closer to doing that um what you're talking about i think that's really interesting i mean there's definitely a very supernatural type of connection that these kids have with these wolves and you know being a song of ice and fire and the singing of the of the wolves and how catelyn just hates it right because she's again she's in that grief state there's no rational thought in her brain happening um but then later on, I actually caught this much later on in, a, I think, a storm chapter. But she even says, the sound seemed, the gray wind threw his head back and howled. The sound seemed to go right through Catelyn Stark, and she found herself shivering. It was a terrible sound, a frightening sound, yet there was music in it, too. So she 
started to, she changed in this chapter, frankly, but she really yeah. felt the music as well. And you do have, I don't know, I don't know what, I think it's really interesting how you just framed it because I had not considered it that way. I hadn't either before I reread it. And I was like, why do wolves howl? Like, what is the animalistic reason mm. for the, them to howl? And then when I looked it up, I was like, oh. And I've always mm. thought, like, maybe Bran could be in the wolf. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, there's, like, so many possibilities that we don't really know. But I really find it interesting that when they close the window, he gets weaker. That is interesting. And the... And the wolves are literally making him stronger. So basically, Rob tries to, you know, tell his mom, come on, go to sleep. And then Rob notices that the Winterfell library is on fire and he runs to put it out. And Bran and Catelyn are attacked by some man with a knife. And (laughs) when this happens, like, first of all, the fight between Bran and Catelyn, like, much credit to Catelyn. I mean, I don't like her, but she didn't go down without a fight. No. Like, she she was biting, and, like, she was going to fight for her kid. But the one, one thing about this chapter is that we're 15 chapters in, and now in this fantasy story, we are, like, we have two kind of murder mysteries that have popped up. So we start out with like John Aaron's death being like a, a whodunit murder mystery, but now um, we have someone trying to kill Bran, and it's an attempted murder, and it, like the mystery is who did mm-hmm. it and why did they do it, and I think the benefit of rereading is we know who hired the cat's paw, um, we know the fool that armed the man with the dagger, we know who it was, um, and. It was Joffrey. (laughs) (laughs) And there are still people who dispute that, right? All those other theories about... Because when you really try to think about Joffrey, you know, he's such a a ding-dong. I mean, he's one of the worst characters (laughs) in the story. I mean, worst people. Worst people. Um, And he's really one note. I mean, you, you you can read books and books and wait for Joffrey to do something that is out of character and it does not happen. I mean, he's just... It's one note. It, There's no character arc with Joffrey. It's, no, there it's a is a straight not. line. And you know, I couldn't imagine having to read a POV from Joffrey. Ugh, ugh. Like, I would just imagine it being, like, torturing animals. And just, like, I just could not <laughs> But we have to give But we have to give POV. a shout-out to George on the way he, um, the way he wrote this. When... Um, the dire woes had fallen, set the set on silent prayer. When she turned away from the window, the man was in the room with her. And it just pivots the entire chapter from Catelyn's yeah, freaking out. Bed. And it's just, he doesn't, there's no buildup or sensationalism. It's just, and then the man was standing there. And it is, he's just, this guy's a, he's a magician, um, George is. For the yeah. way he's written. And he, he threw something else in there earlier about how when Catelyn's looking at Bran and um, Lewin's bugging her. And she just says, I know what this trip has cost us. And she's talking about Bran, obviously, and, and everything else. But um, he's magic. Anyway, so yeah. So Joffrey. So we're pretty firm on it being Joffrey. Yeah, okay. definitely Joffrey. Cool. But um, so... Summer comes in, Summer comes in and basically saves Catelyn's life, saves Bran's life, and then he licks her hand clean of the blood. So this to me was kind of weird that Summer would come and lick Catelyn's hand clean. I feel like that's something Bran might do as a wolf, but not but not Summer because I don't feel like Summer has a connection to Catelyn. I feel like Bran does. not summer like summer she's never really even been around him like that like she she doesn't let him come in the room with bran or anything like that so bran could possibly be in summer possibly but here's where we're gonna die here's where i have a little theory that i think is interesting and i'm gonna share it with you so earlier in this chapter catelyn um says what was happening to her she was so tired and her head hurt all the time well i was reading ahead 
And the first sentence of the Red Wedding chapter, the drums were pounding, 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 and her head with them. And it's interesting that she had headaches in both chapters where danger was imminent. And I've always, I think when people, I have found anyway, when people have written or expressed appreciation for Catelyn, it has to do around her like women's intuition, right? She has this, maybe she's not, you know, she can get played like by Littlefinger, but she has a very interesting sense. Like she, again, read the Red Wedding chapter. She has all of this doubt that things are going on around her, but she can't put it together and she's talking herself out of it. No, no, no. Um, but she's really sensing things. And I I wondered, I, I don't think she's magic. I mean, she ends up becoming a magical creature, right? But I wouldn't call her magical like a Jedi, like a warg, like her children are. But I wonder if she doesn't have some sort of type of force sensitivity, like where she's just a little more in touch than she even knows because she was raised in this family duty honor, Riverlands, Faith of the Seven. None of this magical stuff plays with Kat in her in her upbringing or her lifestyle, mm-hmm. but maybe she has a sensitivity. Like with her, the first thing she ever says, well, I guess it's in her mind, but in her first chapter is, I never liked this Godswood, right? Well, mm-hmm. should she? Right? Is the Godswood her friend? Are they they're spying on her? I mean, she's either of the, you know, she's either a first man. I've seen it both ways where she, Tully's are either first men or, or Andals. And I think the phrasing is that it's, they were first men and then they were indoctrinated by the Andals, you know, long ago. And mm-hmm. I don't actually know which one's accurate in fair, fairness to this. But so maybe she is more sensitive to this stuff because she's a first man blood. Or maybe she is she very well. Is she? Oh. I'm asking. Do you know if? No, I don't know if she's first men blood or Andal blood. But I will say, like the Riverlands, is a very to me magical place. Like you don't think of it as magical. Of course, you think of places like the Wall, uh, Storms End. Dragonstone, you think of these places as like magical, but the Riverlands to me is very magical because you have places like Harrenhal and the God's Eye and um, the House Blackwood, Raven Tree Hall, like you have the Ghost of High Heart. All of these magical people are in the Riverlands, and High Heart, which is in the Riverlands, was basically the capital of the Children of the right, Forest. Right. So right, and her- there's de- there definitely could be magic in her blood, and I think her mom was her a mother wench. was a wench, and that's exactly what I was going to say. And there's there what what about that? Right? Is there and there's nothing. I mean, try to find something on Minnesota Went. It's almost impossible. I can't. I would love it if somebody's <laughs> listening and can share shed some light on it. That'd be great. But yeah, shed <laughs> shed some light on the possibility of magic being in Cat Catlin's lineage because I do think she does have a good intuition like even this chapter has taught her not not just this chapter but along the way like where she really trusts the wolves she trusts who they like and who they don't like she tells Rob like any man that Grey Wind doesn't want you around I don't want you around so she has like this feeling about Jean Poole's family and Grey Wind doesn't really like the uncle. Mm-hmm. So, and Catelyn tries to warn him and like, these mm-hmm. are from the old gods. And he's like, eh, not trying to hear it. But yeah, she definitely does have an intuition. Even in this chapter, yeah. like, even in this chapter, she nails what happened to Bran. Yeah, I have some tinfoil on that actually <laughs> we can get to that a little bit later <laughs> okay. but I do I, I went a little I did to go a little Catelyn research crazy on this one <laughs> okay so they patch Catelyn up like they come and they find Catelyn like laughing hysterically they patch her up bathe her and she ends up sleeping for four days and when she wakes up, she's a new person. She's not the same person. She feels like some weight has been lifted off of her. She feels ashamed for the way that she's carried on. She feels that she's let her house down and she's let her kids down. And she feels she needs to rectify this. And she needs to prove herself to the Northerners. She says, I'll show these Northerners how tough a Tully of River Run can be. Mm-hmm. So a 
A crowd of people come to her while she's in bed. Theon, Rob, Roderick Cassell, Hallis Mullen. They come to talk to Kat about the cat's ball. And it's the major clues for the murder mystery. He was paid 90 silver stags. He slept in the stables. He wasn't from Winterfell. They didn't know him. He was likely from the King's Party. And he was armed with a Valyrian steel dagger with a dragon bone hilt. And Catelyn says he came to kill Rob. <laughs> Catelyn says he came to kill Bran. And Rob is like, uh, why would anyone want to kill Bran? And Catelyn takes this moment to, like, teach Rob. Like, Rob, you're going to be Lord of Winterfell. You need to figure it out. Answer your own question. And Rob finally answers with the right answer, but, like, not really the right yeah. answer. Because sort of. Sort of <laughs> the right answer. He gets there. Of. But let's just take a second here to, and this is where you, as a not a Catelyn fan, can really appreciate. Let's just think about the mothering that she's doing here as she's properly preparing Rob to do his job, right? He has a job he has to do. Think about Lysa. The other mothers we know in these books are Cersei and how they treat their children or groom their children. And there's some horrific advice we see Cersei give Joffrey over time and modeling terrible behavior and the way Lysa is with, with sweet little Robin. Um, but um, Catelyn is just, this to me, again, as a mother, watching it, like that's how you do it. Like she, she lets, she puts him in a position of leadership and strength right, right away in, in her kind of newfound sanity, if you will. And I love it. Mm-hmm. She really does. And I do appreciate I do appreciate that she does that compared to how Cersei tells Joffrey, basically, the world is yours. You do what the fuck you want. And I feel like she... I feel like Catelyn wants Rob to be successful. She knows... And she knows that Rob is going to be... Like, at this point in time... When she's having this conversation with Rob, she knows that she's leaving Winterfell and Rob's going to be here by, be there by mm-hmm. himself. Yeah, poor sweet Catelyn. Um, it's hard to say goodbye, right? Um, but when you, you, you just read this quote out from the book that Catelyn remembered the way she had been and was ashamed. She had let them all down, her children, her husband, her house. It would not happen again. She would show these northerners how strong a Tully of Riverrun could be. And I think this sentence or that passage I should say really is what Catelyn wears as her external armor to the end of her story um, which isn't technically over depending on how you look at Lady Stoneheart but she doesn't let it happen again she shows the northerners how strong a Tully River and can be and she we see inside her head we see her doubt we see her fear we see her struggle we see her blame herself for everything and we go along for the ride often and agree with her but not she doesn't show it and she's tough as nails. And I think that this particular passage is almost like a trajectory that she never really comes off of the rest of the story. Yeah, she doesn't. And I think that's a mistake for her. Like it's okay to be weak. And I feel like she doesn't think that it is. And I feel like her trying to prove something to the northerners gets her into some pretty bad situations. Like, she's going to prove these Northerners wrong. She's never going to see these Northerners again because she's never going to... This is the last time she's going to be in Winterfell. She's never going to see Winterfell again. She's never going to see Bran again. She's never going to see Rickon again. She'll be with Rob, but she'll lose. Rob will die in front of her. And I I feel like it's okay to grieve... And and be weak. You don't have to be tough to prove yourself to anybody. Like, you're allowed to live in your emotions. Yeah, but she doesn't. She doesn't. So whether she can or not, <laughs> she doesn't choose to do it that way. And she's... <laughs> yeah, it would have been... To me, it would have been fine um, if she just stayed home with her three-year-old and her deathly ill seven-year-old and her... 13-year-old that is not ready to lead an army. He's not ready to be a lord of Winterfell. I mean, if he was ready, he would have never married Jane Poole. Right. And it's probably a bit of a false sense of security where, where Winterfell is, how large the north is. The wolves give her a tremendous sense of security. 
Um, she says much later, I never would have, I think she says something like I never would have left, um, had it, or she had confidence in the wolves and why she left them. Um, and, you know, everyone's still there. Why would she think that all of a sudden Rob's going to march off and Theon's going to, you know, do what he does? And so she just has a sense of security that she can leave them because what's really going to happen to them way up there? So that's a shame yeah. because that doesn't work out. Yeah, it doesn't work out. It's it's like this story to me so much could have been avoided if like people just talk to each other <laughs> like <laughs> because like with Ned like Ned has a letter from Liza Ned has talked to Robert like why don't you just tell Robert what the letter said without saying exactly what the letter <laughs> said and who it was from just say I've heard rumors that you know John Aaron didn't just die that the Lannisters actually killed right. him or do you suspect and then, that something happened to him <laughs> like are you sure about them like I like they just don't communicate and then Catelyn going off to King's Landing with like this dagger and this dream that she's gonna go there and be like a spy and find out what happens when really she could just take that blade to Robert and say hey someone tried to kill my son with this blade it's Robert's blade Robert would have known it was somebody in his no but instead it's better to trust Littlefinger so there's always yeah. that. <laughs> and and to like in Catelyn's defense, mm-hmm. she doesn't know Littlefinger anymore. Precisely. She doesn't know him anymore. She doesn't. But I wouldn't I would never trust him. Like he was madly in love with her to the point of madness. Like to the point she he dueled her crazy stark <laughs> fiance, the wild wolf, Brandon. Who is not small. And then he's a big guy. Yes. Like she, he almost kills Brandon. Brandon almost kills Littlefinger, and then you are just gonna just trust him with something so like something you trust him with something that you haven't even you don't even that that Ned doesn't even trust his best friend with. And you know why Ned doesn't trust him with it? Because it's been so long that he's not the same man that he used to be. Yeah. So for Catelyn just to like trust him without a, se- I feel like that's not smart. But I do like in her defense, she doesn't know that he's. But I feel like she's she's smart. She's so smart in other aspects that she should have thought about that, but she didn't. Well, here's another interesting point I think too is just she, and and I think we're all guilty of this just as humans. But she sees the she expects others to view the world similarly that she does, and so she questions, "Am I going to know him?" Like in Cat Four, moving ahead, she says, "Am I going to still know him?" And then when she engages with him, she does, "Oh, same old Peter." So she erroneously, very quickly, determines that he's very similar to the boy that grew up like a brother to her. But she sees family duty honor as her lead. Um, you know, this is what she hangs on to and, and, and what defines a lot of her actions. Yet, um, it's just not how he conducts himself, obviously. And I would have trusted <laughs> no. the love, in all honesty. Like, you know, maybe that would have been stupid. But if it was that, you know, they... They, she think of all the times she thinks of him fondly throughout the rest of the story. Like she, they had yeah. a nice childhood together, for, as far as I can tell, and and so she she wants to believe. I mean, she trusts Lysa, and that woman's completely certifiable. So, yeah. <laughs> so she doesn't know it's a slow burn for Cat. Where she's like, "Wow, these people are crazy." Okay, wait, what? It takes her a while. And in fairness, it's I think it's just her po. It's her actual POV as a person in the story is just tainted by her own family duty honor and then of course she's been surrounded by northerners who are so noble it's probably tainted her even more yeah it probably has and you know see i look at her as like yeah i can keep saying i don't like (laughs) but (laughs) i look at her as like this political i look at her as in house stark the most politically advanced person like she gets it she knows the political side of the game of thrones she has those she's a southerner and she has some of that southern ambition 
But she knows, like, in this chapter, she knows, like, hey, you know what? Jamie Lannister stayed behind. I think he threw Bran. <laughs> like, he, she knows. Can, can, she's, okay. she's All right, well, this is what we have to talk about for a minute. So um, I'm just going to tell you a little story about a little research project I did. Because when I read this chapter for the purpose of this dialogue we're having, the thing that, you know, I just read it normally like I would without getting too analytical. But the thing that just punched me in the face was she woke up after four days and was like, I want some bread and some honey and a latte. And oh, yeah, Jamie did it. <laughs> and I'm like, mm. it reminded me of how Bran wakes up and he just says his name is Summer. He doesn't he doesn't mm-hmm. say I want to name him Summer or I'm going to name him Summer. It's like his declaration. And it struck me like how important do you think dreams play a role in this universe? Oh, they're very important. Right. Very important, very prophetic. So I start to think about this. Does Bran have a dream? I read forward. Is he communicating to her? We already covered that a little bit. Could there have been something where they've connected? Um, is it, you know, Bloodraven the butler did it? Is it the children of the forest? Is it is it somebody messing with her? And I fall asleep one night thinking about this and wake up and I did something I don't normally do. I didn't even get out of bed. I picked up my phone and I opened Twitter and that's unusual. And there was a tweet served up to me from your friend, Joe Magician. And it, the tweet, it's really crazy, but the tweet's about dragon dreams. And he ends it with saying, there are objects called glass candles, which seem to come from Valeria where the Targaryens are from, which allow you to invade people's minds while they are sleeping. So in addition to making me curious about this, I clearly had to get a restraining order against Joe Magician for invading my dreams like that. But, um, <laughs> and I will certainly be sending him that on, on Twitter. But it made me really stop and think, is there something there, right? And, and this is obviously could just be so silly, but I, I wanted to tell you the story. But just as a recap for everyone, um, this is what Marwin tells Sam in Feast. And I will caveat this too. We don't know that glass candles are even burning yet this time in the story. We don't know when they start burning. So I'm not necessarily suggesting that I've solved some sort of clue game here. But the sorcerer, so this is uh, Marwin talking to Sam. The sorcerers of the freehold could see across mountains, seas, and deserts with one of these glass candles. They could enter a man's dreams and give him visions and speak to one another half a world apart, seated before their candles. Do you think that might be useful, Slayer? And so we know there are four candles at the Citadel, and we know that Zaro tells Danny that Urathon Nightwalker's candles, plural, are burning. And it's my understanding that, I mean, I think we, as a fandom, I think that Urathon is Euron, correct? My crazy? Um, we don't. I'm not sure. We don't have to get that off topic. <laughs> I, think it, I think it's a it's a theory. It's okay. a theory. So it's a theory I would agree with based on some of the um, when I when I went down that rabbit hole and looked at it and read the the whatever clues I read. I thought that was an interesting theory. So it's either Euron or whoever Eurathon Nightwalker is. I think the Eurathon <laughs> Good Brother was the biggest clue that I bought into because Good mm-hmm. Brother is a is a Iron Islands name, but. Anyway, and I know a lot of people think that Euron is using the glass candle to mess with the damp hair, mm-hmm. like in the mm-hmm. Forsaken. Like that's how he's invading his little shade of the evening right. dreamy type of things. But yeah, I think that's a good point because Quaith, like um, Quaith comes to Daenerys pretty early. Well, in a clash of kings mm-hmm. and a, the theory is that Quaith is using a glass mm-hmm. candle because she to communicate with to communicate with Daenerys. right so we don't even know how many are out there but that's just the glass candle thing i don't actually know so this is what i actually found and this is what i wanted to share with you because you know all, all that about glass candles so the glass candles are really heavily associated with the maesters in this um, with citadel mm-hmm. and marwin and so i went back to the chapter to cat three and took a look at lewin and one of the first things in the very beginning of the chapter when catlin's all annoyed with him He's pestering her, and she's like like a little gray rat he wouldn't let go. So I, in my invest, I put my little um, Sherlock Holmes hat on and was like, all right, why did she call him a gray rat? So I look up how many times, like an idiot, how many times is gray rats used in all of these stories? So you would probably think hundreds of times, right? Little gray rats, wherever. But gray rats are mentioned mm-hmm. a total of four occasions, in every index book in A Search of Ice and Fire. So do you want to hear them? 
Yeah. Okay. So the second one is in Bran, in Storm, Bran 4. Once the direwolf bolted through a dark door and returned a moment later with a gray rat between his teeth. The rat cook, Bran thought, but it was the wrong color and only as big as a cat. <laughs> so, right? Okay. So you, what's the rat, what's the significance of the rat cook story? So the rat cook um, ha- is the guest right story. So he had feasted the king, then killed all his children and served the king his children in a pie so red wedding type of shit possibly what people think is going to happen to walder Frey. yeah but the cat part right the cat part <laughs> that's what i'm saying now in this brand four is after the red wedding this is in the night fort obviously and this is when we get all those awesome stories it's one of the best chapters um, but the cat part's interesting, right? So, yeah. and the fact that it's two books later, and we're talking about the the cat's paw chapter to post red wedding, he has not used the term gray rat in between those. Okay, so that's totally a that's totally a callback to Catelyn, right? I I couldn't agree more. So then the third one is um st- it's same book Storm Danny Six. Um, after they took Marine through the sewer, or this is after they took Marine. That's my note. Sorry. Night covered the streets like a black blanket, hiding the corpses and the gray rats that came up from the sewers to feast on them. So this is talking about how the gray rats are essentially feasting off the people, living off the leavings of war. It doesn't directly connect backwards, but it does connect to the fourth instance. And this one you could probably guess. I don't know. Can you can take a guess? As, as, <laughs> I can't guess. Okay. You can guess because when I say it, you're going to be like, yes, of course. Um, and then this particular instance, this fourth instance, it's actually used multiple times, but I'm calling it one instance. And it's in dance in the Prince of Winterfell when Our Lady Dustin is wrapping it up with Theek. I don't know if it's Reek or Theon at Faria and Ramsay's wedding feast. Three maesters walk mm-hmm. in who Roos brought north to or brought to Winterfell. And this is Lady Dustin. Lady Dustin's mouth twitched in distaste. If I were queen, the first thing I would do would be kill, be to kill all those gray rats. They scurry everywhere, living off the leavings of the lords, chittering to one another, whispering in the ears of their, ma- of their masters. But who are the masters and who are the servants, truly? The gray rats read and write our letters, and who can say for a certainty that they are not twisting the words? She goes on to say, this is how it was with Lord Rickard Stark. Maester Wallace was his gray rat's name, and isn't it clever how the maesters go by their only one name, even though even those who had two when they first arrived. Um, that way we cannot know who they truly are or where they come from. Before he forged his chain, Maester Wallace had been known as Wallace Flowers. Wallace Flowers had a high tower mother and an archmaester of the Citadel father. Once he forged his chain, his secret father and his friends wasted no time dispatching him to Winterfell to fill Lord Rickard's ears. This is where it gets interesting. With, with poison words and sweet, sweet as honey. The Tully marriage was his notion. Never doubt it. He, then she's cut off because Roos cuts her off to talk about Stannis coming. So the end of this section is talking about Catelyn marrying Brandon. Brandon and or, you know, and ended up being Ned. So I don't know what to make of this. I don't believe that it necessarily is like, hey, isn't this amazing? This is why she woke up thinking it was Jamie. I can't conclude that, but I can't help but think there's something odd in this connection of Catelyn and the Grey Rats. There is, like... I feel like you presented a lot of evidence. And if you actually look at, like, what the show did. So the show didn't have her, you know, waking up and saying, oh, it's Jamie. She, like, went to yep. the tower and found the the, the, hair. the blonde hair mm-hmm. and then was like, oh, yeah, okay. But, yeah, she does kind of come to this conclusion on her own. And Maester Lewin does give her something to sleep. He gives her milk of the poppy. So I don't know if the milk of the poppy could have had some kind of effect on her or did someone come to to her with a glass candle? It it really could be. I don't know. And I mean, my question was where's Wallace Flowers? Right? He went did he, s- did he die? South. I can't find that. I can't find proof that he did or didn't. I looked. 
But I feel like I read somewhere that he went south with um, Rickard, but again, I can't find oh, that. Let me look it up. Um, see if I can. So I think that's really interesting. And then um, when I was looking at Marwin, I also thought it was interesting that, and you'll probably know this one too, but the first time Marwin is mentioned, do you know what chapter that is? Or who mentioned it, mentions him? Um, I think Marwin is probably mentioned first by Sam. It is by Miri Mazdor. Oh, yeah, Miri right? Mazdor. And then the second time he's mentioned is Kyburn. And both of those two characters are wildly associated with life from death, which is the end of Catelyn's arc or the middle, I don't know. Um, and I find that to be really interesting, too. So I don't know what to make of this. I, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, but I feel like there's something – it's either really coincidental, <laughs> well, <laughs> which we don't use that word very often in this story. I feel like George, I've talked about it before, like George does this thing where he just plants a whole lot of seeds mm. and then and then decides which ones he wants to grow. So he might plant seeds that, well, I, I definitely think that there's. The gr- I definitely believe in the maester, the grand maester conspiracy, where like the maesters are not good people, and the maesters do have bigger plans that don't include dragons. Um, and I definitely think they probably had a hand in Summerhall, but George does this thing where he will make put all of these little things in, and then he will stop watering them or water them more. So that's why, like, with so many things, like, so many theories can be, feel right, and they, and they really aren't anything, but I definitely think you're on to something with the gray rats, because that's kind of, especially that first quote. Right. The, so especially the first one where it recalls the rat cook, and then the fourth one with Lady Dustin. Yep, and she's talking about the marriage. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like the third one's either a throwaway or it's just there to 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 link it somehow because it it does link right to what she says next, but I don't really know why that is other than that he's just framing them as actually rat-like, you know, living I de- off. I definitely think I definitely think it seeds. Right. And then, you know, and you brought up her mother being a went and I think that's interesting too because, you know, Oswald Went is a pretty significant character in being buds with Sir Arthur Dane and Gerald Hightower and being at the um, Tower of Joy. Um, mm-hmm. He's the one who put in his brother's ear to have the tourney at Hall. Well, goodness gracious, the tourney at Hall is an enormous domino that knocked down another series of, of um, you know, actions, happenings, whatever. And the ones aren't really covered very well. Like, you don't get a lot of information. I don't know what their words are. I don't know if they're significant or not, but they aren't because, well, I'm not, not, they aren't significant. They aren't covered that much because they're like an, an extinct house kind of not really though, but like how strong, like Joe, we were talking, you were talking about Joe magician invading your dreams, but (laughs) Joe, Joe magician did like a hour, 45 minute video on how strong, like, he has so much content on how strong. I'm like, how? There's hardly anything about how strong in the book. Well, Fire and Blood fills in a lot of holes, though, for him. Right? Yeah. Strong's pretty present there. Because otherwise... But, I mean, he has a lot. He has a lot. So, it's... A lot of times, it's it's hidden. Yeah. And you just can't find it. And I'm like... I don't know. But I feel like House Went really interests me. And I feel like... um who is it when Jamie leaves? Is it when Jamie leaves? When somebody leaves Hall, they get a Went shield. Oh, it's Brienne, right? Brienne. And they, and they say she can't have it, so she makes a different right. one or has a different one painted like, like Dunk. And Brienne is acting on behalf of Catelyn Stark. Right. right it all connects it all comes together yeah it's really it's i feel yeah i don't i don't know what to make of it but i had a lot of fun playing around with it and digging around and i would i'll I'll keep if anyone listening wants to tweet at me it's egret targaryen blm 
send me a tweet if you have any insights, because I would love to hear if you guys, um, somebody else knows something I can't, I didn't find. Yeah, like, let us know in the comments, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I'm interested in it. Like, now I have to, like, go research House went more. <laughs> well, let me know what you find, because I didn't get very far. I was like, what's happening? And then, you know what? We were talking about um, cat's headaches. I forgot to mention this, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Was... So I, I, I noticed that she had a headache in both the Red Wedding and this and, and imminent danger is coming. And I like a ding dong. Once again, I look up, I, I just search the word headache. Like they don't even use the word headache. I search it anyway. And, you know, the word headache is used 10 times in all the books. And five of them, five of the instances are in the epilogue of Storm where they introduce Lady Stoneheart. And really, and there are five other references in that chapter of my head is head pounding or pounding something into your head because Merritt is hung over but he 10 different references in that Lady Stoneheart epilogue where there's head pain and again does it mean anything no but why is it there why am I finding these strange things (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) Catelyn Maisha Lewins definitely needs to be treating Catelyn for headaches Chronic, <laughs> chronic migraines. <laughs> and then she's well, projecting you know, them on other people she's about to kill. I don't know what's going on. I yeah. remember when Arya was at, when Arya was at Harrenhal, the, the topmost story was infested with, now this is about Harrenhal. The topmost story was infested with nests of huge black bats that House Went had used for its sigil. And there were rats in the cellars as well. And ghosts, some said. Mm. The spirits of Heron the Black and his sons. So I think that kind of goes with it, even though it's not gray rats. Like, she sees rats in the cellars and the ghosts of Heron Mm -hmm. the Black and his sons. Even though Heron the Black and his sons died by Aegon the Conqueror, like, they were eating when they died. Like, I feel like it kind of goes... Kind of, like... Maybe. You You never never know. know. You You never know what he's trying to... What he's trying to show us or if he's trying to fool us or what he's trying to do. But, um, yeah, so that's my – I wouldn't call it tinfoil. It's more like saran wrap, I suppose. But that's my <laughs> – that's, that's what I found. Um, and um, But I find Kat to be really, really – just really interesting. And I think there's a lot more layers of Kat that could be dug into that um, I think you said earlier – um, just how much gets missed about Cat the character because we're so entangled in Cat the POV. Everything that goes yeah. on in her POV is so interesting and so fa- it's just some of the best stuff are in her chapters. And we meet some of the best people through her mm-hmm. eyes. And, you know, when you get to Cat 4, one of my favorite things, but when she's, when she, you know, she's like, she's talking to Varys and she's like, in walks a guy, hairless as an egg, and it's Varys. Like, that's just, those are awesome, right? There's those hints that, you know, the egg references and stuff. And she just does, he did, he really had a lot of respect for that, for her as a character, for sure. Because the way he used her is really profound. I think, I think she, I know Tyrion is like, I think his favorite to write. But I think Catelyn is also one of his favorites to write. And he like kind of skipped the Red Wedding and wrote like after that he skipped that chapter and then came back to it because he didn't want to kill like he knew he had to kill her and i think he liked her so much that he brought her back (laughs) (laughs) right well and maybe she's more important maybe she's got a bigger role to play like i didn't even write this down in my notes because i don't really have anything to back it up but i what if she's more of a parallel to say like the corpse queen or something um in a different way um you know, maybe she there's totally could be. Yeah, there's a different because, you know, the corpse queen was married to a star or they say a Stark or Bolton or whatever. But maybe it's not in the right order. But, you know, they don't get history right. Right. All those no, stories are all those stories are told wrong. <laughs> so, you know, she's still the spouse of a star. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's maybe there's something like that. Um is we really have no idea. I mean, I know some people are like think her arc is like hopeless. And what is what's the point of her? And I kind of feel like it could be everything like she could well, it could be really interesting 
she's definitely not pointless. Like, she's the catalyst for a lot of things. Like, for instance, she kind of kicks the war off. Yeah. <laughs> she kind of kicks off the War Five Kings uh, She when she takes uh, Tyrion. Um, but she's the catalyst for a lot of things. I, I think a lot of her arc is about being a mother and... Um, what it means to love your children, what it costs you. Because for her, it's cost her everything. And I love how the chapter ends. Like when she, so she's, she's saying, you know, I'm going to King's Landing. Um, I, I'm not going to take a big party. Like I know that's going to attract a lot of attention because she, she's not an idiot. But she takes, she decides to take a ship. She takes Sir Roderick with her, just him and her. And she's like, we're going to go down there. And then she thought, we shall see what we shall see. Like, and I kind of <laughs> thought that was a badass line. Like, okay, so she's going down there like, and it's going to be what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Basically, like, it is what it is. And yep. she doesn't really have any fear about going there. No, there's she, she woke from that four-day slumber with a tremendous degree of confidence. And I would attest... I would honestly give some credit to the wolves in that. I do think that yeah. her faith in them to protect her children. I mean, if if Ned comes home with the kids and a bunch of wolves, I'd he'd be sleeping in the doghouse with the wolves. I'd be like, you must be joking. Like, you can't put these feral creatures that have never been south of the wall in bed with these kids. Forget about it. And then she, she clearly sees their value, you know, when she sees it. And... Then she just, she has a strong connection. I mean, you know, Grey Wind, I mean, she even, when the Grey Wind goes to, like, jump at the, right before the Red Wedding, so I think it was the chapter before when they get to the, back to the phrase, and Grey Wind is going after the phrase right there at the greeting party, whatever you would call it, and she she jumps in front of Grey Wind to stop him. Like, she is balls of steel, this woman, and... She and Nymeria, I mean, granted, Arya's driving her, but Nymeria is the one who pulls her out of the river. So mm-hmm. I do feel like she has a greater connection than they allude to. Um, and it could just be my imagination or, or a wish, wishful thinking. But I, I do think it's, I think it's there. And maybe it's just because she's their mother. And it's that simple. Yeah, it really could be, it really could be either way. Um, I know George has said, like, all the Stark children are wargs all of them even sansa so um catelyn doesn't necessarily have stark blood but she could like you said have first men blood it could be the bond that she has with them is based on her kids the the, her being the mother of Mm. these people that these dire wolves are like have life bonds with so it could be that like it could be so much yeah and it's still like it's still early in the books where we we don't have all the information and and like even late in the books we don't have all the information we need because we still need two more books to kind of make sense of everything that's going on but the direwolves are definitely this chapter really made me like i was already loving ghost like ghost in in john's chapters but this chapter really made me like okay so these wolves are like the guardians of these children So when you see this happen in this chapter with the wolf protecting Bran, it just, when the next chapter happens, makes it hurt so much bad, so much worse. Yeah, it does. And and do you think at this early stage in the game that he knew that she was going to become Lady Stoneheart? Because there's definitely, I feel like, some foreshadowing to Lady Stoneheart sprinkled in here. Um, I don't think I don't think he knew. Well, I will say from his original outline, he submitted the first 13 chapters, I believe, mm-hmm. with the original outline. And that shit was a completely different story. Like Catelyn was supposed to go north yeah. to the wall with John. So that like if he had Lady Stoneheart thoughts here, then it could probably have been more of a what you were saying, a corpse queen mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. Right. Which which I actually didn't even think of that before. But, yeah, because it, it feels like the ferocity's in her, like how she could kill the horses with her bare hands kinds of things. Like, Now, granted, 
again, as a mom, right, if you, if I, like, the whole Lady Stoneheart thing, right, if, if you, if I watch my oldest son get killed in front of me and I think all my other kids are dead and I'm, my husband's dead and I, they bring me back to life, I will definitely get me a rat cook recipe book and make some fray pies because <laughs> I, I will be bringing it all down. And I think that she personifies that, right? But yeah. that grief that she feels, she comes back to life as this personification of this this crazy grief. Mean, but anyway, I just wasn't sure if you thought we could see Lady Stoneheart in this chapter or not. Uh, I'm not really, but because I feel like Lady Stoneheart is just so dark. Like, even to the point where, like, the things that she does, the like, what she's doing right now with Brienne, like, forcing Brienne to prove her loyalty, mm-hmm. and we know how loyal Brienne has been to her. So, she's dark. But, like, I always have thought that Catelyn had a dark side to her. Always. Because I feel like you can't mistreat a child and then not have a kind of darkness in you that, like, mm-hmm. I can't fuck with. But, um... When she becomes Lady Stoneheart, like, she's, before before she is killed, she kills Jingle Bells. So, like, of course, if you can, if you have that kind of grief in you to kill a child, like, a mentally disabled child that has nothing to do with what's going on, then I can see you coming back as Lady Stoneheart. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And she kind of, I think her grief, because her grief starts in that John 2 chapter where she's just a complete ass to John. It starts Mm -hmm. there, right? And it finishes in this chapter, and it goes through the other ones. Um, But this is kind to me, that part is all that irrational um, bite. That's what I think is the Lady Stoneheart, is kind of that whole piece of this, these two chapters combined. Well, I could tell you something that to me is really poetic. Like, you know, we talked about, Catelyn saying I'm going to show these northerners how strong a tully of River Run can be and she goes out there and like she's set on finding who's responsible for doing um for trying to kill Bran and hiring the cat's ball and who killed John Aaron like she's going down the King's Landing she's going to fill Ned in and then she ends up going to war but like Lady Stoneheart it's her raw. Like, she's not trying to prove shit to nobody. Like, she's done <laughs> trying to prove shit. Mm-hmm. She's ready to kill people, and that's it. Well, she is looking for Arya, too. Isn't the beginning, isn't the epilogue, the, the, the what you jiggers? The Brotherhood is peppering yeah. and going, have you seen a girl? Almost like the Brienne storyline. Have you seen a girl mm-hmm. about this size? Um, so she's got, got to have some sense about her, uh, some of her memories in there because she's, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I just felt like that, <laughs> this aligns, this grief section to me and the fact that I believe Lady Stoneheart is uh, part of Catelyn's arc. I, I don't, I don't see them as two different characters. I think them, I think she's a completely it, yeah. wackadoo version of it, but this is the personification of this grief and it comes true. I mean, I, I don't know the, the type of pain she dies in, in her heart, um, is something that I don't know that any of us ever want to know. Right. No, it's, I don't know it. I've always, I've, but I've always thought that Lady Stoneheart, that personification of Catelyn is definitely always has been a part of her. Like it's all she, it's always been a part of Catelyn. Like she's always had this, uh, this coldness, mm-hmm. this darkness, this, um, like I, like she says, like she'll slaughter every single horse in Winterfell. Mm-hmm. If it would bring Brand back. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, like, she's, she's got that in her. And now that, like, all this finery has been ripped away from her, and she's just this, that, that's all that's left to her. Like, she doesn't have anyone left to love or to care about. They're all dead. So, she wants to make everyone else that's responsible for it dead. Yeah. And I, I would too. I mean, <laughs> yeah, same. 
I would too. So <laughs> I'd come back gray stone. <laughs> gray rat stone heart coming in hot. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think she's almost nice to them. <laughs> Considering. Just kidding. Really? Mm. No, she really is. I mean, because I mean, if it was me, I'd just kill Brian. Right <laughs> I'd well, just kill her. You have right. Jamie Sword. You have Jamie Sword. Bye. Well, and what, I mean, let's think of the last time she interacted with Jamie. He he mocks her and tells her he threw Brian out the window and doesn't regret it. And then the last thing she hears when Roos kills Rob is Jamie Landerson sends his regards. Of course, she wants Jamie dead. Right? Yeah. Can, can she be rationalized with? I don't know if, if that's possible. I don't know what they'll do when they find her come wins. But, um, yeah, you know, it's I think that's a great <laughs> mystery. But, my goodness, I mean, I would he would be first on my list. Um, I, Arya Stark, yeah. list of people I'm going to kill for sure. So, basically, that's Catelyn 3. Did you have anything you wanted to add? No, I think if you ever, if I've ever honored enough to come back, if you could go ahead and invite George to join us, it would probably make this go a lot better. So, uh, if George would join us, I don't think George gives a shit about my podcast. I am sure he's listening right now. Hi, George. I don't think so. Anyway, thank you so much. This has been great fun. Yes, this was great fun. And, um, I'll. I'll have you back. We have a lot of chapters to get through. And if anyone wants to be on an episode of Obsidian Nights, just DM me on Twitter. I'm, I have a schedule. Um, I have a lot more slots to schedule for, but I have like, I'm scheduling into January of next year. So just hit me up. I'll get you on here. You don't need a podcast. You don't need a YouTube channel. You just need to love a song of ice and fire. And um, as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And I will see you guys later.